trying to produce value. Like, that's what it's tagged by. Yeah, that and nuclear weapons. And nuclear weapons, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's... Um, and just solely on the fact that I, you know, I've had people tell me that they think when they buy Dogecoin, they're buying uh, shares of Dogecoin. You know, it's just... This is the Foot Guns Premium Podcast. Anyway, we're starting now. Welcome to the uh, Foot Guns Premium Podcast. It is August 2nd, 2021. This podcast was begun at 3.33 p.m. Eastern in the United States. I am Boomer, the Global Marker Discretion Guy, joined with Hal 69K, our astrophysicist turned quant, turned crypto bond villain from his undisclosed location in the Caribbean. So, Hal, got a question for from one of our dutiful uh, listeners, so I wanted to address that first. And guys, just FYI, one of the reasons why we created premium, as you might imagine, this is not exactly our main income, but one of the ways reasons we created premium was so we could interact with people. Trading is kind of <laughs> lonely. And um, so please just hit reply to the newsletter anytime you want to see something covered or don't like something or want to see something else or whatever. Just Just interact with us. We're always here. Um, so this question is a uh, topic, it's pretty broadly asked, but inflationary versus deflationary coins. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's being asked because um, Ethereum 2.0 is about to launch uh, any day now, it, unless something goes wrong. And the idea there is that when you're spending gas using Ethereum, like so in Ethereum, when you send money from one person to another, you spend gas, which, you know, uh, you have to pay for in Ethereum or Ether. Um, and so with the changes in F 2.0, there's uh, some people suggesting that maybe Ethereum will start to become deflationary as people um, will be burning the gas. Like right now it just goes to the miners, but in, in Ethereum 2.0, it will just be um, destroyed when it, or part part of it will be destroyed um, during the transaction. And so there's a chance that um, more Ethereum will be being destroyed than Ethereum being created. Because uh, right now, if you go if you go look at the Ethereum market cap on CoinGecko, it just says question mark for, or, or infinity, I think, for the um, maximum supply. Um, whereas that's, Bitcoin, that's scary to me. Can you, can, yeah, you, can, yeah, can you go, is, can you go a little f- further into that? Because I've established myself as a ETH shy boy. I'm, I'm, um, but uh, can you go a little bit more delve into that? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, you know, so Bitcoin and Ethereum both have a, have a schedule of, um, basically coins that are, a reward that's given out um, for, to the miners where, and, and right now Bitcoin's reward program is ending, right? It, it ends in 144 years, but it's ending at like a, a, a rapid rate of declining. It, it gets cut in half every um, four years where Ethereum's reward program doesn't have that um, getting cut in half. Um, so 
you know, basically there's just this reward that you get for being an Ethereum miner and that reward is paid in Ethereum. Um, and yeah, so right now there's no plans for that reward to end. Their idea is that with F 2.0, um, people will be burning Ethereum, you know, destroying it faster than it's being created and then it will become deflationary. Okay. And so Bitcoin, you know, a Bitcoin maxi take would be like, you know, see, just waiting for Ethereum to collapse. I mean, if the market caps are infinity, that's why it's so fucking stupid, right? That would be a Bitcoin maxi take. Yeah, exactly. That it's um, inflationary currency and so it could never be a store value. The the big thing I I think um, I have a problem with is like the the battle between the Ethereum community and the Bitcoin community about Bitcoin and Ethereum needing to like do all of the same thing. So, you know, people are like, well, Ethereum could be a store of value. It's like, well, it, you know, d- does Ethereum <laughs> and Bitcoin need to be the same thing? No, they it's don't. They don't need to have It's such a waste of properties. time. It is yeah, such a yeah. waste. It, it's just like the whole, you know, we need the dollar to completely collapse around the world so that Bitcoin can become the universal currency. It's like, no, actually they could co- coexist. And if you adopted uh, that stance, then you would actually be you bring more people in because you sound like a crazy person saying that the value of the U S dollar is going to go to zero. One of the reasons why the value of the U S dollar cannot go to zero is we have a shit ton of nuclear weapons. Yeah. (laughs) Like you just, yeah. Well, I mean, people are, people are um, always like, Oh, Fiat's backed by nothing. It's like, no, it's backed by the the American, you know, the, the entire American industry, like, you know, of private companies all working together, trying to produce value. Like that's what it's backed by. Yeah, that and nuclear weapons. And uh, nuclear weapons, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, good. that's the negative kind of like scary case. But here's an interesting question because, you know, you hear a lot of people, the whole Tea Party movement, et cetera, worried about the national debt. Um, do you know what our national net worth is? Me? Uh, no, I, I, I haven't looked at anything of the statistics in a while. Yeah. So it's around $314 trillion. Wow. So if you personally had $314 trillion and you'd borrowed $29 trillion, are you levered? No, right. No, no, you're not. You're not. You're not. Not at all. Not not to the point where you're worried about, particularly now the point where you're worried about quite a, like a blow up event where you would go to zero, which is what they're saying about the dollar. So it's hard for us to, It's. I mean, this is all theoretical. It's hard for me to see like selling off Yellowstone Park to meet the demands of our debt holders, but um, I think that people sort of confuse it too. I think when you add up, if when you pile on government debt plus consumer debt or whatever, you get into the hundred trillion level ish, maybe a little bit more. So yeah. we we might be as a whole society, including the things that we all own together through the government. People have a tendency to be like the government is someone else. No, you own Yellowstone. Um, I think I think we're about point five times no we're not we're, we're negative well what is okay so it's like 150 million dollars of debt on 350 tr- sorry 150 trillion on 314 trillion of whatever so that's a uh, 0.5 times leverage yeah so we're 0.5 times levered current country which to me is is doesn't seem like it's you can argue whether it's good to have this level of national debt or not or bad or whatever but sort of the idea that this you know being this levered is some major tipping point that causes us to 
print money endlessly to the point that the dollar becomes the not reserve currency of the world. And also I pointed out in one of the newsletters, there's really two reserve currencies, right? I mean, there's the year, if you go to any country, basically there people will accept as, as, as the local legal tender, the euro and the dollar. So the, the, the dollar supremacy is not even sort of proven to me like that, you know, um, the number one black market currency, and this is one of the reasons why we don't have a $500 US bill, is a $500 euro. Um, so switching gears a little bit, just want to get your reaction to something, which is, um, despite its uh, an infinite uh, market cap, uh, Ethereum is outperforming Bitcoin on a relative basis. Normally, we would see Bitcoin in the lead with Ethereum sort of catching up, trading, you know, Anywhere from two to five percent uh, less than Bitcoin's move. Any any theories about why that's happening? Um, yeah, I, I think everybody's excited for Ethereum 2.0, and I mean that again. Like the idea, if it works, um, all of a sudden Ethereum goes from having infinite supply to a deflationary supply, and um, like all the numbers, everybody are you know, guessing is it's going to be what they call a triple happening, which is, you know, uh, Bitcoin has a happening every four years where it gets the, the rewards cut in half. Um, so they're saying the rewards are going to get cut in half three times. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that could have a huge, you know, if it, if it goes well, if the thing still works um, <laughs> after after they launch it and um, everyone's happy with it, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things that's, yeah, you can, know, we, can the, we pause pause there for a second? Because yeah. like, if the thing still works, I'm just thinking to myself, what like you know, there's a tendency of people to focus on everything but the actual code and <laughs> in cryptocurrency, right? Yeah, like they focus on prices, hype, uh, logos, uh, the, the name of a coin or whatever, but they don't really focus on the code. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know. Microsoft has been pretty reliable over the years in terms of doing major switches, right? But they also really missed a few. Windows, right. Windows Vista, <laughs> Windows um, XP was pretty good. Some people still run on XP, right? They're like XP truthers. Um, and uh, uh, Windows yeah, 90, I mean, Windows 98 wasn't so great. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, um, you know, so they're switching from proof of work to proof of stake, and there's a, a, a bunch of different cryptocurrencies that have emerged as Ethereum competitors, and some of them, you know, launched on a proof of stake system. One of them being um, like Polygon, for instance. So there's, there's proof of these things working on a small scale, right? It's just that Ethereum is the second largest. Um, cryptocurrency, but you know, by market cap, but the the network usage on Ethereum is huge. So, you know, I, it, it's kind of like that. Like, if it's not broke, don't fix uh, fix it thing. But everyone that has used um, Ethereum to you know try and trade, like using Sushi Swap and stuff, realizes it does not work in times of high volatility in the sense that it it, it functions, but the um, the swap fees go to go up to the point that it's pointless for you to you know make a swap on a $10,000 position if it's a $1,000 fee. So Ethereum 2.0 is trying to solve that fee issue, um, but it's doing it in like the largest way, you know, by tearing down the house, right? Yeah, that's a pretty, yeah. And I, I, there's definitely a foot gun there for being an ETH uh, 
shy boy. I wonder though, you know, if part of this is we're not saying is two things. Number one, there's a instinctual reaction that people have to prices. This is why stocks often when they go up to the moon and they're trading at a thousand dollars a share, they do what reverse splits or whatever, not reverse splits, but whatever it's called. I, I trade stocks so infrequently. When you take like a, a stock that's trading at a thousand, but you reset it to 100. What is that? Right. Called? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's right. Yeah. Reverse, so split. reverse, reverse split. And, and so, um, you, uh, you, it's, it's harder for people to get behind, uh, super expensive looking things. It's more easier to, for people to get behind, um, cheaper things. So I think that we've still got a lot of retailers out there who are still, didn't even still know what Ethereum is. They're still, you know, going with that same stale thesis, which was what's going to be the next, the next Bitcoin, right? Yeah. They don't, they don't know anything about having and fixed supply or inflationary or deflationary or whatever. And they're just looking at it going, well, you know, Bitcoin's coming back, but Ethereum looks cheaper. (laughs) And, that's it. That's the only reason why Ethereum is going up more into Bitcoin. That could, yeah, be, a, it's that also, could be a thing, um, right? I, I also think the narrative is uh, easier to get behind because the narrative right now is that Ethereum Ethereum does more than Bitcoin and is cooler and whatever and faster. So then it should take Bitcoin over and then, you know, versus having to believe that Bitcoin is just going to like grow on its own without anything changing and just like narrative staying the same like that's boring right like oh it's just going to go up and nothing's going to really change but people are going to start using it more versus ethereum's like we're changing this and we're changing that and we're flipping that and doing this yeah and and, and I, i'm still convinced that the most of the retail people who are participating in this space via Robinhood or whatever they I, I'm, I'm convinced that the majority of people don't know they can buy part of a bitcoin yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced too, um, and just solely on the fact that I, I, you know, I've had people tell me that they think when they buy Dogecoin, they're buying uh, shares of Dogecoin. You know, it's just, right. yeah, <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, I bought part, part, partial shares. So they're at least real, starting to realize, oh shoot, I can get partial shares of Dogecoin. Wait a second. Does the same thing apply to Bitcoin? <laughs> it's part of the reason why Robinhood is so bad is that they, they, well, they allow for partial shares of a stock and then people think they can get partial shares of a Doge. And- so I'll, I'll point out something that's been interesting to me over this last um, week and a half or so of price action. Um, one of the tokens that we've been talking about in the newsletter is Luna. And... When he's been on a tear. Yeah, when everything was just like trying to decide what to do, Luna was just like, "Yo, I'm going up." <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, and I think that the story there is that when everyone saw the huge demand for stable coins, um, they realized that if Bitcoin market cap is going to expand, uh, it the stable coins are going to have to expand with it. And Luna is a is an attempt to solve the the you know the issues that people have with Tether and the issues that people have with Circle at the same time, which is it's decentralized but it's uh, transparent. So, like with Tether, you're like, what what is backing this shit? Where's the money coming from? Um, with Circle, it's all you know, it's it's all inside of whatever Coinbase's vault somewhere. I don't know. They, they you know they're supposed to have dollar bills backing this thing and they did release that they are holding other uh products besides dollars but with 
with Luna, it is the collateral backing of this coin called UST. So um, you have you. I, I don't know. You know, it's it's a lot different. I don't I don't know if it's good if it's bad. But you do know you do know what the collateral looks like. And then there's this like incentive system so that if UST falls from peg. Um, you want to go in and mint more of it with like the Luna that you have to bring it back up to peg or, or, or vice versa. I think I said that backwards. You want to go in, um, uh, you, you can basically like get Luna on the cheap. But yeah, but regardless of whether, where you said it backwards or forwards or whatever, the, the essential argument is, is the use case for, this is a, a thing that's useful for the use of stable coins, right? Yeah. And then what's like, What's crazy about Luna is that unlike unlike Tether and uh, Circle, which are just focused on the dollar right now, um, Luna has the ability for the community to say, oh, we want to make uh, euros or we want to make, I don't know, um, just whatever currency they want to. Um, and there actually has been a, a, an uptick now in uh, euro stable coins inside of DeFi. And as you, so, I, you know, I think that this is the... The next evolution of DeFi is, is we're going to start seeing like the Japanese yen and the euro and, and um, you know, even Swiss franc or something like that um, start being more widely used um, and staked in these DeFi apps where right now it's just like Tether and USDC. Okay, cool. That's, that is a great point because, I mean, we emphasize over and over these are global assets. They do not have a, uh, a, a, a national origin. And... Um, so one, let me just get your last last thing I want to get your take on that I didn't know, or or or, or actually before we leave Luna, so one of the most difficult things about trading futures is what I did, you know, global macro is that you know you, you get taught from a young age buy low, sell high, and that is a prudent investment strategy, um, but often in futures which are streaky and more volatile, you need to buy high and sell higher. Right. So it, it's what keeps people out of, out of the trade a lot of times is they're they're looking for like the absolute rock bottom price. They can get into oil or uh, currency or whatever. And so do you think that the Luna move is is potentially over or that someone could come in and buy high and sell higher? Oh, that's a really good point. I think um, so. I just I just successfully pulled off the the buy high, sell higher, um, and I'm waiting for one more moment because Luna's about to try and test a, a really big downtrend that it created, you know, off of the off of the highs in March uh, this year, and so that's right around like twelve and a half dollars, and so if I think if the thing goes up above twelve and a half dollars and can can hang out there for uh, a, at least a week or something like that, um, that's a really good chance to buy. And and that would be you buy it and um, hey, if it goes against you, like yeah, whatever, get out of there. But if it, you know, you know what I mean. That that's the thing is like you bought this thing expecting a breakout. If it doesn't break out, then just get out of there. Like whatever, you missed it. It was a bad opportunity. Move on to the next. Right, relatively tight. A relatively tight stop is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it, if it doesn't break out here, then it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's just like crash or something. But it just it's not going to be like yeah, your your rocket ship or anything like that. Right. I got it. 
last thing I wanted to, um, uh, and, and folks, I guess if you're, you're noticing, we are not, um, total technical people. We are not total fundamental people, but if you use technicals as if you say, let's say, you know, you are acknowledging the immense interest in stable coins and that Luna solves certain problems. And so you want to get long Luna or, or, or whatnot, you can use technicals to optimize that trade and maybe perhaps tell you if you're wrong in advance of some other event. So we never are just like, okay, I'm going to trade this purely on a, the way a chart looks. Uh, I don't think that's a very prudent way to trade. You need a combination yeah. of both. And so for Luna, um, you know, that, that would be just, that's our approach just in case that's not clear. We put, we put the, the technical analysis in the newsletter for those who want to sort of see it, if it's helpful, but it's never just like, Oh, well, you know, I'm just going to throw bet it all on this one little pattern or something like that. Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of, a lot of what I do is, um, like yeah like for instance like luna i really like the coin for fundamental reasons so i'll just put on a, a small position that's just like kind of like a yolo position and then as the technicals start to look nice uh i'll build up that position maybe take some short-term trades um and if it like looks really nice like i'll just leave a long-term position on um but yeah it, it's mainly just like i don't want to try and take short-term trades on an asset that i um don't understand like on a fundamental level what's going on right yeah no and i'll do that with the the neat thing about futures is you can build out a core position in one month and then just sort of trade around it in different months if you have a intermediate disruption like i was uh long one month of oil last night and short another because um and wound up being you know sort of going with the short one and uh so that's the importance of scaling in which means if you have say 10 units that you're looking, if you're, if your trade size, the maximum you're willing to put at risk is say 10, you know, start with two, don't start with 10 because that'll always sort of, sort of, um, I mean, it, it, not always, but it's, it's, uh, you're asking for it. If you put, you know, if you put all 10 in, you're, you know, you're putting your whole sort of the thing, in, you're all in at that point and it can get confusing. Last thing I want to get your take on is, is that, I guess this was out a few days ago. I just got sort of word of it, um, which is uh, this big profile about currency nomads and about, um, you know, FTX and uh, Binance and all this stuff about how these guys are, you know, the number one economy in the world they want to be marketing to is obviously the largest addressable market is the United States, but they're all located located pretty much in Hong Kong and have weird domiciles in Malta and all this other kind of stuff. The article was kind of interesting for that reason, but what was really interesting to me is something I didn't know. And I've, I've been, you know, you and I've been, been fooling around with, with crypto for, you've been fooling around with crypto for like a decade. I, you know, came later, but it's been at least a year and a half. Right. So, so the, the, um, the thing I didn't know was I'll check, you know, I'll go to CoinGecko or someplace like that. And I'll look at the total volume traded per day. And um, by all appearances, Bitcoin is a huge market. Um, and, you know, like usually like $100 billion traded a day-ish. You know, maybe it's 60, maybe it's 80, but it's really high. I didn't know that, that those things aggregated the derivatives as well as the spot. The spot market, the record spot market volume 
<clears throat> was in, um, you know, towards the high of Bitcoin was only 13, I think it was, no, it was $18.2 billion. And the same day, $114 million of, $114 billion of, of perpetual futures, which are, which were invented by BitMEX, which is that Mexican? Is that what it's called? Uh, uh, no, Bit, BitMEX, I think, is um, Chinese. But yeah, I have no idea. I, I think I have no idea. What, I think it's BitMix or, or is it MEX? I don't know. Yeah, it's MEX. And so, uh, but they, but they, they're like, uh, they're really weird. They're perpetual swaps. They call them perpetual swaps. So they're not yeah, yeah. futures. They have no expiration date. They have no settlement. They have no nothing. So these perpetual swaps. And so I think that, that, that's very interesting to me because a lot of the a lot of the on-chain stuff focuses solely on the stuff that accounts for maybe 10% of the trading volume on Bitcoin on any given day. Um, that just seems to have enormous implications. Like most recently, Bitcoin had a, a spot volume of 3.9 billion with a total perpetual swap thing of about 40 billion and it was just kind of like wow that's i didn't know that and and i it changes the way i think about it a little bit maybe but i'm not sure how it changes it i'm still sort of trying to process it any thoughts on that i mean uh certainly makes it seem like it's a more mature market right Mm -hmm. um i i do think the yeah the the perpetual swap thing is is really interesting to me um just from like a i don't know a technological standpoint of like a new invention there also there's also someone working on a perpetual option which would i don't know how that that would be just a perpetual swap with an expiry um yeah i it's like um with an expiry where the right there's a function that drives of the price like closer to expire or something. I'm, I'm not I, I, I don't say I was like trying to read the paper and I was just like I don't know if I have time to <laughs> understand this um, yeah it, it's it, it's certainly like a whole new world of not just like crypto but like finance right they're inventing new tools on top of yeah that I, I think are really not necess- I mean they're they're basically kind of creating I mean really ETFs are trying to simulate perpetual swaps. I mean, that's what they're doing and they're, they're just going out and buying, they're backed by the futures. Right. And so if you have time decay, like in the, the, the horrific example and, and traders are this for years and before they like try to fix it or something, but um, the natural UNG, the natural gas ETF, because of the way natural gas is, you know, trades at a higher price in the summer because of cooling demand and a higher price in the winter because of heating demand. They were not taking that into account. So there was just this time decay on the natural gas futures curve. And so people were like going along the futures thing and shorting the ETF and just stealing money. It was just, it went on for years and they had to do like 18 reverse splits and all this kind of stuff. So in some ways, this already exists in the form of ETFs. The difference is the max levered ETF you can get is three times. Whereas, you know, um, FTX is taking the unusual step of limiting leverage to 20x. And, um, so that, to me, it changes a lot of things. And let me ask you this, too, uh, while I got you here. Is, does that, does the knowledge that a lot of this are derivatives, does that change the um, stock-to-flow model at all? I mean, the, 
the guy, you know, the guy that created the stock to flow model. No, the the Bitcoin maxi community, you know, is like all pitchforks about derivatives and being like, well, this is why we, you know, we would have a bajillion dollar Bitcoin right now if there was no derivatives. And, you know, I mean, maybe they're right, but it would also be just like a volatile, really volatile market, in my opinion. It'd be a smaller market. I don't know if it'd be more volatile because you'd have true participants, like people who are trading spot. I mean, they really want to own this stuff, right? And so, um, I, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a. I'm just trying well, to. Well, I think just it, say like the the it's it's the retail trader that like drives up these like Bitcoin uh, spot like that you know according to the the on chain stuff is like what you see is um, at the end of these like blow off tops in Bitcoin and there's only been like three right so um, you you see I guess technically like the, the last one wasn't really a blow off top um, it, it it really stepped down quickly um but you know at a weird at a weird place like sixty four thousand. yeah in a really weird way too um but any anyways um you see all these small addresses come in and buying you know tiny amounts of bitcoin on spot uh towards the end of these these tops so uh yeah i mean i I don't think uh very many retail traders are like running out and buying you know perpetuals futures like uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe Binance has made it so easy for them to access it. That that's what's been. That's going what on. I. That's what I think because there's certainly the institutional guys are are definitely, you know, if they're accountable to uh, big major pension systems and all this kind of stuff, they're going to be on CME trading the Bitcoin features because the the last thing they want to do is explain to someone that they had a down quarter, or they lost a bunch of money because they traded it on some weird exchange, you know. Yeah, and so they're probably going to stick with CME, um, and so yeah, I think there are probably a lot of people out there who don't even know they're trading these perpetual swaps. I mean, look at the behavior of Robinhood, and which we detailed in our our free podcast about how fraudulent they were about telling people they had margin calls when they really didn't, and allowing people to trade options based on a bot that was re- really easy to defeat to let you trade options, and most people lose money on options and. So um, I, I that would be a big, I guess my point being um, the two easiest, you know, if you were super levered, the, the most volume of levered instruments was traded at the very top of Bitcoin and um, or this most relative top and it's 64,000 or whatever the price was. And it was... Uh, all that leverage. I mean, if you were twenty x into that or whatever, I mean, you've been you've been you've been taken to the woodshed. You are out of this trade. You are no longer a participant in this market. I can tell you that, having traded futures in a very levered way, um, you know that that's a spanking that you cannot. That leaves that leaves more than a bruise. Let's just put. I don't know why I went down a spanking metaphor alley, but um, you know that's 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 like a punch in the face. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I just I, I, I thought that was really interesting and something I didn't know. And I think that I think that, that all these places are doing people a little bit of a disservice by saying that there was, you know, like if you look at it today, I mean, I don't know. It'll probably say that there was 60 to 80 billion dollars of Bitcoin traded, but that's not true. It's, it's right. They want to they want to get you the biggest number possible. I mean, so when Bitcoin was. Um, when Bitcoin was still at like $10,000 last year um, 
and I was, you know, I was like watching the price action starting to look like, oh, oh crap, like we might actually start going up. Because this is a big deal to get back above ten thousand. Um, and I was looking at Cash App; they have like a, a little chart of Bitcoin on there. And if you like, if you looked at like an actual chart of Bitcoin, like you know, say on like um, Trading View, it's a website I like uh, to use. You, you don't see this like crazy like parabolic breakout that's about to happen but if you go and you look on cash app like the way that they were displaying the chart made it look like bitcoin had already like started this new parabolic move so it's just like yeah the people that are <laughs> the people that want you to come in and use their stuff and buy the coin like is are are you know painting everything over to make it a little little bit more rosy yeah, and this is just a terrible middle school joke or whatever, but it just depends on where you measure it from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, all right, with that, it's just absolute decay of um, of, our, of quality content. We'll wrap it up for today. Hal, 69K, thank you so much for joining me, talking about uh, inflationary versus deflationary for our friends and uh, addressing some of the questions at least I had, and chances are if I have them, other people do, but guys, we're super interactive. Like you, you know, you're, you're paying for this. And so hit reply, ask us questions and we'll talk to you. It's fun. Trading is lonely. And, 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 uh, that's one of the reasons why we did this is we really wanted to interact with people. And so all you have to do is press reply to the newsletter. You don't have to go send a separate email or chase us down or anything like that. Just say, you know, whatever's sort of on your mind. So thanks again, guys. This has been the premium podcast for August 2nd, 2021. And we'll be back later in the week and we'll do this all over again.